Did you know that when you are moved to that kind of wonder, like we just saw in the wondrous faces of, uh, of these young kids and children, do you know that when moved to awe, moved to some form of kind of delightful wonder, whether that's walking through the woods, stargazing, or experiencing something divine, researchers have found this, that you actually grow more humble they literally say this comes from the University of California, Irvine. They say that you're moved from your rigid self-interest and moved towards a compassion and kindness towards others. I read this first in Discover Magazine, had to find it again on, online, and, and here, here's what they say. In other words, it helped this idea of being moved to awe or to wonder or to stargazing. It helped people realize how small they are in the grand scheme of things and in turn increase their kindness and concern for others. What's interesting about that, just even that quote, is it sounds downright biblical. I want you to look with me, grab your Westside apps. Hello, by the way, good morning. It's fun to be with you. And grab your Westside apps, turn with me to Psalm 8, verse 3, and just look at almost the, the parallel nature of what the scriptures say versus what researcher, researchers are finding out today. When I consider your heavens, says King David, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? He goes on to say you have made them a little lower than the angels. What happens when we're moved to awe, to wonder, when we study the heavens and the celestial nature of things? It's like, well, we get right-sized. We're no longer the center of the universe. It's no longer about us. And we begin to just kind of like everything, we, just, we, we come about our lives and our world in just this big, grandiose way, but then we realize how small we are, and it moves us to this place of humility and to kindness. What we're talking about today is we, as we're in the second installment of Wonder last week, we talked about getting kid-ish. May you never see a dog food bowl the same way again, people. And... Today, we're going to talk about this, how wonder provokes kindness, but kindness provokes a kind of wonder in others. That's where we're going this morning. Will you just uh, join me in prayer as we just usher in all that God would have for us today? So, Lord Jesus, this moment, this day, this time, our hearts, our minds, they're yours. And we just say to you that we ask for receptivity and openness. We don't look uh, today just for agreement with you. You know what we look for, God, is where you want to disrupt and disagree with us so that we might be made more in your image as a result of having been together today. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's all say it together, amen. Arena Radoshenka, she was a uh, Russian poet during the Soviet Empire. And um, she was incarcerated, sent to a labor camp for, and I quote, disseminating slanderous documents in poetic form. She was stripped of everything. She was pulled away from, from everyone, and she was placed under the watchful and brush, uh, br brutal and harsh eye 
of Soviet guards. She was put in a gulag where she was there for four years. For a fourth of that time, for an entire year, she was in solitary confinement. And during the harsh winters in that labor camp, uh, the temperature dropped to, and get this, sometimes 40 degrees below zero. So how did she and her uh, inmates survive? She said, well, we learned this secret, this little daily practice to begin our day. She said, before we do anything in the morning, we would wake up in our labor camp barracks and we'd smile at each other. Isn't that interesting? In the harshest of conditions and environments and under the brutality of the Soviet empire and their treatment of Irina and her fellow inmates, what did they have to do? They had to practice kindness. Natalie Hampton, at the time a 16-year-old girl from Sherman Oaks, California, she was bullied her first year in high school. Uh, in part because she didn't have her people. She didn't know even where to sit in the, in the school cafeteria. And after walking through that and actually navigating that from a place of mental wellness, she came to this determination. I never, ever want someone to experience what I experienced, to have to go alone and to be bullied. So on her school campus, she started this little movement that was just simply entitled, Sit With Us. And literally, they began to post, like, if you don't have someone to sit with, you can sit with us. How many of you parents have ever just, like, popped in on your grade school child or whatever? I know you would want to in high school. They just won't let you. But in grade school, they'd welcome you. And how many of you walked in the school cafeteria and saw your son or daughter sitting with their head down, eating out of a sack lunch alone? We have. There's nothing more kind of excruciating. It just rips your heart out. So the beauty of a 16-year-old going, I know what we'll do. They ended up creating an app for this. It's literally, you can look it up. It's called Sit With Us. And then growing up for me, my mom and my dad, five houses down on our block, there was a man named Doug. And uh, Doug was our friend. Doug, developmentally, was far delayed, probably had the mental capacity of eight or nine-year-old. But he was, at the time growing up, he was like in his 40s, he was functional, he, he ran a little, um, had his own little lawn mowing business, could drive, do things like that. But every night, around 5.30, when my mom is scurrying to get me and my three other brothers to the dinner table for a hot meal, we would see Doug's head, kind of his balding head, come down the driveway through the window, and then he'd come through the back door because he knew he was welcome there, and he'd sit at our dinner table and just tell the same thing over and over, and particularly to my dad, he'd say, hey, Mike, did you know I got the new camper shell for my car? Yeah, Doug, that's amazing. Yeah, Mike, won't the Boy Scouts just think I'm like the coolest thing because I got this camper shell? Yeah, Doug, that's incredible. Won't they be surprised when I show up at the next Boy Scout uh, 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 camping trip? And oh, Doug, they're going to be so surprised. And we spent so many meals around the dinner table just welcoming Doug. And he was a beautiful friend to us with help in a pinch. 
Isn't it interesting that whether it's in your own neighborhood, the school cafeteria, or in a gulag, there's something so very powerful about kindness, about kindness. And wouldn't you just agree, as, as we're all sitting here and we're living in the world in which we're living, we're experiencing it both online, we're, we're experiencing it digitally and physically and fidgetally, and, and, it's, and it's all around us. Wouldn't you just agree that we need kindness more than ever? I just want to greet the Speedway campus and say, wouldn't you, Speedway, just agree in your life and in your world our online community, wouldn't you just agree we need kindness, especially now like with Christmas. I mean, we just came out of Thanksgiving. We're coming in and we're gathering our family and our extended family and our in-laws and our outlaws and they're all coming together. And oh, we need this thing called kindness. But I don't know about you, but I, I kind of take issue with the way kindness just gets thrown around. You know, whether it's the public service announcement, whether it's the post on social media, whether it's the, the yard sign. I kind of look at it and go, do we, what do we mean when we say kindness? Is kindness tolerance? I sure hope not. Because I don't know about you, but nothing feels worse than just being tolerated. Is kindness just placation, just feeling placated to? Man, I, I, I hope that's not it. Is, is kindness just ecumenalism, meaning let's just all kind of like, let's just all get along with all of our different faith traditions. And, and if that's what it is, if we just empty our minds and deny that we have core convictions deep in our soul just so we can actually be nice, I'm here to tell you kindness is not niceness. Why? Because Jesus was not nice. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Jesus wasn't nice, just, just read about it. Nowhere does it say, and Jesus was really nice. And actually, every moment that he lived, it wasn't about niceness. He was love, he was joy, he was peace, he was kindness, he was gentleness, he was self-control, he was fierce, he was disruptive, and he was unnervingly kind. Jesus practiced what I would just call a gritty kind of kindness. And if wonder provokes kindness, he practiced a kindness that provoked wonder. In one such place, he's riffing. He's just, he's just like, let me lay it all out for you here. Let me just, let me just tell you kind of the way it's going to roll. If you want to be a follower uh, of me, if you want to just kind of roll with me into, into the ways of the kingdom, I'm going to have to call you to, to something different, something different than the rest of the, the culture around you. Here he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, he says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the Tax collectors, aren't they doing that? Tax collectors, by the way, would be one of the most uh, kind of euphemistic uh, expression for someone you absolutely despise. Like the tax collectors, the people that post, you know, signs in the yard that just make you mad. Those with bumper stickers that make you want to curse under your breath. Those that post things that just draw your ire. Like, are we just talking about loving those that you agree with? Or are we talking about something different? And if you greet only your own people with the exact same yard signs as you, exact same bumper stickers as you, the exact same kind of online algor algorithms 
as you, to draw you deeper into tribal affinity. If that's all you're doing, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. You see, Jesus is calling us to something far richer, far deeper, far more robust. The kindness that's offered by the world is very, very thin. The kindness, the gritty kindness offered in Jesus is so robust and so gritty. And I wanna just talk about, I just wanna lay out four things. Number one, the kindness we're talking about comes from God's deep heart and his deep character. And if we go into the Old Testament, the word for kindness is hesed or chesed. And it's this all-encompassing word. I want us to, as we've been in the unshakable series, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 54. It's one of the unshakable passages we've been looking at. And you'll see this word, chesed. Though the mountains, we're looking at Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my chesed, my unfailing love is how it gets translated. For, for you, God says, will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace, my relationship that wraps you in peace, that will not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Chesed is this all kind of encompassing, uh, uh, entire embodiment of who God is at his deep core. And it repeats time and time and time again in the scriptures. Um, Dr. Daryl Bach would describe chesed in this way. Look at this with me. Chesed is wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God. I don't know why we need to say positive, by the way. I'm not sure there's any negative. However, things like love, covenant, Faithfulness. I wanted to underline mercy because it means there's some, there's, there's, there's some issue at hand. There's some forgiveness that's needed. Grace, there's the word kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go where? Beyond the requirements of duty, which is, again, what Jesus is saying. We gotta go beyond. Gritty kindness does this thing, and this thing comes from God's deep heart. So how do we live from his deep heart? Number two, gritty kindness disagrees and still loves. I think that's so important. In other words, we're not talking about affinity. We're talking about mercy. We're talking about that it has to actually cost you something, maybe in reputation, maybe in, in material possession. I don't know, but the context of gritty kindness is that things between you and another person aren't well aligned, aren't going well. There's strife, there's enmity. And so gritty kindness disagrees, to, to put it mildly, and loves still. Our uh, favorite verse as a family, at least I like to think it's everyone's favorite, is uh, Ephesians chapter four. I wanna give you the run up though. I want you to, I want you just to hear the, the context of Ephesians 4.31 before I read the very satisfying uh, verse 32. And it goes like this. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's the context by which we took the next verse and put it on our kitchen wall. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. 
What's the context? Conflict. You don't agree. You don't see eye to eye. This person has ticked you off. There's strife going on. Forgiveness is required. There's malice. There's brawling. There's all these kinds of things. So be kind. And this kind isn't placation, and it's not tolerance, and it's not niceness. It requires something more. It requires a speaking truth in love, and yet loving still. Gritty kindness has power. Again, we're talking about this having, coming from the, the deep heart of God. And there's this beautiful passage, you know, for those that misunderstand God and his character, they think that God is just out to be a killjoy. God is just out to, to judge. God is just out to catch you in some form of sin, right? To shame you and expose you. Well, the scriptures are clear. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the scriptures are clear that yes, God wants more for you. And what is it that's going to lead you to that more? Well, you just have to turn around. And it's not his wrath. It's not his judgment, it's his, the scriptures say, it's his kindness that leads you to repentance, writes the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter two. It's God's kindness that leads you to repentance. Now, by the way, repentance can be a trigger word in our culture because it conjures up all of this like, you're a scumbag, God doesn't like you, so clean up your act. That's not that is not the message of the Bible. You know what, metanoia is the Greek word for repentance. It just simply means change your mind, turn around. Change your mind, turn around. And so God sees you and me. His heart breaks with compassion. He wants more for you. He sees the big picture in which you can't see. And so he decides to come to you in kindness. And sometimes that's in fierceness. Sometimes that's with all the weight of heaven, sometimes that leads you to a deep sorrow, but it is always from a deep heart of chesed, an unfailing love for you. And you, and you just do a little word study on the word repentance, and it leads to the coolest stuff. Like, repentance is the best thing ever. We should do it every day because it leads to refreshment. It leads, in the Old Testament, to a quietness and a rest in our souls. And it leads to a fruitfulness in our lives. You see, kindness, this gritty kind of kindness, it has a power to transform. Niceness doesn't, would you agree? Niceness just leads to like passive aggressiveness, right? Putting on a smile and then talking about them later. But gritty kindness, has the ability to provoke wonder in someone else. I was trying to think if I've ever done this in my life. I had to go back about 35 years to high school. I was a part of an on-campus ministry. It was called Lost and Found. So we'd have people show up to our little group with um, wondering where their uh, backpack went. We were like, we don't know, but uh, have a seat. You know, it was pretty cool. Uh, but this thing kind of started to grow. And um, I mean, like, 150 or so showing up on a, on a Thursday lunch period in, in our high school. And it got the attention of, of many, including the journalism department. So, so a gal named Jessica, she decided she wanted to write a feature story about Lost and Found, so she contacted me. 
and she said, uh, hey, want to write a story? Uh, I'm not, I don't share the same faith tradition, but I just want you to know I'm going to be very fair. Um, what I'm going to write, I'm going to um, send to you for any kind of first writer refusal or correction, and then we'll publish it. I said, deal. So we did a long interview, and then like out of nowhere, it went to print, it circulated, and I'm, I'm reading for the first time just with everyone else, and it's, uh, you know, it's pretty, uh, pretty harsh. And I remember, like, being in at being 16 years old, I'm thinking my life is over, you know? And I'm getting my first taste of when Jesus says, hey, when the world hates you, don't worry, because they hated me first. Like, that was kind of, the, like, one of my first little experiences of that. And um, so I remember, like, uh, I would say email her, but this was before email, so I must have had to have talked to her. And I'm like, Jessica... I thought you were going to, and she's like, ah, oh, yeah, well, da, 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 Well, I was hurt, and I was mad, and I don't know how much time passed, but months. And um, every time I'd see her, she would just, she would just, I mean, she just, like, would stiffen up. And I'm kind of thinking, hey, you did this to me, right? You're acting mad at me. So we had this thing going on for months and months. Until uh, one morning, we're parking, and we park nearby, and we're walking to the school building, and, and we're at the, the light where we're going to cross the street, and it's this awkward moment. She's there, and I'm here, and she's just, and I'm kind of, you know, like this, and I just feel prompted, and I just turn to her, and I go, hey, Jessica, how are you? And it was so dramatic. I mean, it was unbelievable. She's like, oh, I'm fine. I mean, it was like... Everything melted with just one simple, how are you? To the point she started coming to Lost and Found. Now, that's not necessarily the goal, the metric, the, you know, does she then attend your thing? I'm just saying, wow, I didn't want to do that. I didn't, you know, it was like hard, but it was amazing the power that gritty kindness in the context of hurt betrayal, uh, what that can do, what that can do. But here's the last thing about great kindness. You can't do it. Not the way Jesus says. Like, gritty kindness is impossible. We can be nice if that's, if that's our goal, and then we'll never tell the truth. We can placate, we can condescend, we can tolerate, but to practice this kind of, of gritty kindness goes way beyond you and me. We're going to have to look up in a way that makes us small, in a way that right-sizes us. Why? Because, man, the stuff going on in our hearts, not good. Would you agree? Like, if anyone just could get transcripts of all the things that run through your mind and heart on any given day, no bueno, Right? Alexander Solzhenitsyn just put, put it perfectly. He goes, evil runs. He says literally, the, the line between good and evil runs straight through the heart of every human being. And I know that to be true. The malice, the brawling, the envy, the quarreling. I mean, all that stuff. And it's, and it's getting more difficult by the day in the digital world in which we live with artificial intelligence, with robots taking our commands. One of the things I've just tried to practice, I've been trying to be nice, ah, whoop, caught myself, been trying to be kind to Alexa. 
and my daughters are like, why are you doing that, Dad? Because I'll be like, Alexa, would you please tell me the, the, the time? And she'll tell me the time. I'm like, thank you, Alexa, right? They're dad, you don't have to do that. I go, I know I don't have to do that. But if I don't do that to Alexa, then I won't do it to you. Oh, dad, that's really stupid. Until, this is the coolest thing. So like three weeks ago, my daughter Mia, she's reading the Wall Street Journal. As one does at the age of 15. <laughs> and she says, dad, there's an article uh, about what you've been saying about Alexa. I'm like, really? And it goes in to all this research. Yale University to say that with the algorithms, and as Vox Magazine would put it, that outrage has viral capacity way over anything else. That the way the algorithms and the artificial intelligence is wired up, and they literally go on to say verbatim, we don't have to tell Alexa, thank you, or please. We just say, Alexa, weather. And she gives us the weather. And what does that do in you and me? And they literally put it this way, that technology is teaching us and trains us and our children to be rude, to be rude. So if you get anything today, be kind to your robots, people. <laughs> be kind to your robots. More importantly, hear this. To practice a gritty kind of kindness is truly impossible because you and I were broken. There is an evil that runs straight through your heart and my heart. We can fake it. There's no power in that, though. We can be nice. We can just try and get along. There's no redemption in that. We have to go deeper. We have to go to the places where we surrender, get right-sized, become small again, and open ourselves up as a vessel to the spirit of the living God, who is kindness, who is love, joy, peace, and patience. The fruits, when the, when the spirit of the living God comes upon you and me, that's when we can practice this kind of gritty kindness. Just look with me here, Galatians chapter five. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, chesed, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such thing, things. There is no law. What does this come from? It comes from the very Spirit of God who says, if you want to practice this kind of gritty kindness, well, it will come both as a gift and it will cost you something, you see. What we celebrate here in this season is nothing short than the chesed of God embodied in the flesh. What is Christmas at the end of the day? It is the grit, gritty kindness of heaven coming with all the attributes of God in the flesh, mercy, kindness, love, going way beyond than what is deserved entering through the birth canal of the Virgin Mary, more than likely a 13-year-old peasant girl. And he walked with us. He lived a life among us and modeled this kind of chesed, this kind of gritty kindness. But he just didn't model it. 
he actually gave his life up for it. And when you walked in this morning, you were, you were given the elements. I was not, however. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. <laughs> Just realized I forgot. Can't wait to see how Jen's going to practice kindness towards me later. That as we take and think about his body, as we think about his body broken on our behalf, the chesed of God, who at just the right time, when we were his enemies, it says in Romans 5, he offered up his life. That is gritty kindness. Let's take and remember. And in the same way, he held up a cup of that covenant kind of love. He said there's going to be a new covenant, a new way of relating, and it's going to be premised upon mercy and grace and forgiveness. And my blood is going to be shed on your behalf. Take and remember And so, Lord Jesus, today we receive the gritty kindness of heaven that says, I disagree with you because I love you and I want so much more for you. But I'm not going to just post a yard sign in heaven. I'm going to come in the flesh as kindness, chesed incarnate. And we thank you so much that it costs you something. We want to now live by the power and the unleashing of your Holy Spirit for others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I don't know for you in your life, who needs this kind of kindness for you? Who needs this kind of kindness? Quick tip, who are you mad at? Who are you hurt by? Who do you disagree with? Who's placating to you? Who's nice to you, but you know they talk behind your back? Well, that's probably the person that needs your kindness to be provoked to the wonder of God. Uh, many of you know that um, I, I get to teach here, but only in a part-time capacity. I have a full-time job as a consultant. One of my clients is Chick-fil-A just down the street. I heard the coolest story about this kind of gritty kindness from the owner-operator. His name is Drew, and with permission, um, I'll share this with you. He said, you know, and, and, I, and I heard him share this with his, with his entire team, that... Um, for years, he had this neighbor who was a professor at a local university in the area. And he would always be out walking his dogs. And every time they would cross paths, he said, the guy would just grandstand. He would just ask me leading questions about Chick-fil-A. Clearly different perspectives, clearly different ideologies. And he goes, and I always just walk away like frustrated, you know, like, what's this guy after Never having been to Chick-fil-A to experience the wonder, 
He said, um, but one day I'm in the restaurant and I see my neighbor walking up towards the front door as he's with an el elderly man. It turns out to be his father. And Drew says, oh man, we have an opportunity. So he, um, he grabs a couple on his team. He says, hey, we're going red carpet on this one. We're going white glove treatment. We're gonna, we're gonna, um, we're gonna turn this into a full scale service restaurant. I want you to greet him at the door. I want you to lead him to a seat. I want you to tell him that you're gonna come back and you're going to take their order and then we're gonna comp everything. And that's what they did. A month or so goes by. Drew is out on a run and comes right across his neighbor. This time his neighbor flags him down. He says, hey, I have to tell you something. That was my father. And we had just come from the hospital for his very last cancer treatment before he died. And he told me that he wanted to go to Chick-fil-A. And I did not want to take him, but what are you going to do? When your dying father says he wants to go to Chick-fil-A, he goes, so you had no idea what that meant to me and in that moment. And his father died a few days or weeks later. That is gritty kindness. It comes straight from the chesed, deep heart of God. The gritty kindness that disagrees and loves still. The gritty kindness that will haunt his neighbor forever with that kind of power. Where the hound of heaven, you know, is just knocking at his door. The gritty kindness that's impossible without the spirit of God regenerating you and me. Who needs this kind of wonder? Who needs your kindness? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, let us stand and respond and continue to listen to all that the Holy Spirit wants to prompt us in. Amen.